0: I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you
1: and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my
0: candidacy
1: for president. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Arena Talks podcast. My name is Kate Catherall, and I'm a co-founder and partner at the Arena. Today, we talked to January Contreras, who is running for attorney general in Arizona. We discussed how her experience growing up in Arizona shaped her point of view, why she is called to serve, and how she will deal with the pressing challenges of our current political climate, from protecting DACA recipients to addressing the opioid epidemic. It was a really rich conversation, so I hope you'll listen to this one all the way through. And with that, let's dive in. January, thank you so much for joining us today. I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about yourself and sort of your personal story. So to kick off today's interview, I was hoping you could tell us the birth to now story um, in your own words. So
0: yeah, I'm glad to be here, Kate. So thanks for for having me. I'm so proud to be a part of the ARENA. Um, so birth to now, well, I'm a fourth generation Arizona, but was born on an Air Force base in Texas. And actually my mom recently was with me at an event and somebody in the audience asked, how did I get my name? And I see my mom's hand pop up in the back of the room to say, uh, can I answer that question? So from her perspective, I mean, the you know, it was a big part of the change in her life when I was born. And she talked about why she named me January and she explained it was sort of a... Um, a time when she felt a little bit lonely uh, that my dad was assigned to another area. And LBJ was in the hospital, so she didn't uh, get to have her friends there. And so thus, January Joy was born. I was the oldest child of two very young parents. Uh, When my dad got out of the Air Force, we moved back to Arizona by the time I was two, which is both where my parents had grown up. And my grandparents. My parents worked for the post office and uh, worked nights, and so I ended up being one of those um, people who benefited from having a multi-generational family around me. And my grandparents were a huge part of my growing up. I went on to when I was old enough, you know, about oh, about twelve. I started taking care of my young sister, who was eleven years younger than me. Uh, While well, again, uh, my mom was working nights, and um, you know that was really my first leadership training—taking care of my little sister. I think I, you know I often speak to young people, and have for the last you know ten, fifteen, twenty years, and I always remind them that you don't have to run for student council or be in some club. That they shouldn't downplay the leadership that they're learning and taking on in their own home. And sometimes, us taking care of our siblings, taking care of a grandparent, sometimes helping um, our parents through rough times is the single best leadership training that we'll ever have. Uh, And I think that was true for me. It's certainly something that shaped me for the rest of my life and my career. I went to law school, it wasn't something that I expected. Uh, You know, for me, I'm a child. I was born in 71. So for me, lawyers were the only people I saw who were lawyers were on L.A. Law, this very old primetime show. Um, But when I had graduated from college, I started to see the different roles that lawyers could play in fighting for the little guy. And that was something that really spoke to me. So I started studying for the LSAT. You know, I wasn't someone that could afford an LSAT prep class or anything like that, but the U of A sent me a set of books to study uh, for the LSAT, and I did fine, I did well, and started law school the next year. Um, my first job out of law school was as a county prosecutor. I went on to become an assistant attorney general. I prosecuted crimes that happened in nursing homes. That was some of the most righteous work I've ever done in my career. Uh, I worked for Janet Napolitano when she was the Attorney General and served as an advisor to her both when she was the governor and at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, And being a part of the Obama administration uh, was a a really incredible time of learning and incredible time of service. Uh, And coming back home, I wanted to stay in public service, and I founded a legal aid organization called Arizona Legal Women and Youth Services. And We serve kids as little as two, uh, and, and most of whom are as old as 24, who are dealing with homelessness, abuse, trafficking, and the foster care system. So really to be eligible for our services is something you don't want to be because these young people have been through the worst of times, but they're young people who found their way to always and who want to get through the worst of times to the other side and who really want the same things for their, their kids and themselves that all of us do. Stability, safety, a roof over their head, you know, the dignity of work. Uh, and it's it's been a real privilege to lead always. You know, I mean, and then you get to um, now, being a candidate. It, it's um, not necessarily something I would have foresaw in the plan. Uh, but so much has changed in the last couple of years in terms of the the temperature of the environment in terms of attempts to trample on our constitution, attempts to eliminate protections for the little guys, for consumers. And that made me step forward in a very, very different way, but with the exact same motivation, which is public service and um, trying to build more opportunity and more security for the people around me. That's great.
1: Um, And I definitely want to talk more about how you made that decision and, and why you're running. But before we get into that, I'd love to talk a little bit more about sort of your personal story leading up to this moment. Um, I love what you had to say about you know leadership training uh, and the best leadership training you ever had was sort of like taking care of your little sister and this idea that when you go out and talk to people in their communities that you kind of tell them, you know, don't take that for granted, the experience that you have leading in your own home in your own community may be the best training you have for your future. Um so tell me about about how you made this decision to go to law school and become a prosecutor, and um how you know growing up in a family taking care of your younger siblings uh, with your parents' working nights really shaped uh your outlook and and sort of this calling to serve.
0: Yeah, well, I mean it's just true, and so it you know at some point these things become sort of coded into your DNA and you just don't have control over them anymore. That's certainly true for me. Uh, I really think that being put in that position of responsibility uh, and for my sister, it just never went away. And so it ended up being, you know, a lot of community service. A lot of times stepping forward when uh, I thought jobs needed to be done that other people weren't doing, um, both in the community and in, in my school settings. Um And, you know, when I graduated from undergrad, I thought I wanted to be a, go into broadcast journalism. And I really envisioned myself as this young, you know, a Latina Connie Chung, who was going to be covering, you know, consumer protection issues and civil rights issues. Uh, And I, I briefly went into that. I mean, I have internships and I Stepped into a role at a TV station after I graduated, and it just wasn't what I expected. And I really wanted to be in a position where I had more independence uh, and the ability to really tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Um, And it's so interesting because as a lawyer, that's what you do half the time. I mean, you're telling somebody's story, whether it's your victim and you are telling it to a judge or a jury or whether it's now, you know, with the legal aid organization, with my clients, whether that's, you know, a two-year-old boy who was adopted from the other side of the world. And um, when they when he got here, he was kept in a closet. Uh, and we had to figure out his immigration status because when that adoption was terminated, it was a no-man's land. Uh, and it's telling his story. And it's, it's finding... Creative solutions, what's in the law that actually helps this young person? Uh, and for all the young moms that we serve, which is a lot of our clients, whether they're abused or they've gotten out of a trafficking situation and they're trying to move forward, it's so much of it is still it's telling their story. Uh, and, and And marrying it with the remedies in the law that can help them move forward. Uh, so i i i don 't know that I would have ever seen those things coming together in that way the The link between journalism and lawyering, but I certainly do now.
1: That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you know throughout your career you 've had really different vantage points from which to understand how government can serve or not serve people um and the other sort of institutions and um and mechanisms that have to step in to provide support to people. So I'm really interested in hearing more about your work at ALWAYS, which is the acronym for the organization that you founded um, and referenced earlier in our interview. Can you tell me about uh, that experience, starting ALWAYS, and um, what you learned there that has prepared you to take this leap of running for office uh, to be Arizona's next attorney general?
0: Uh, Well, it's true what you just mentioned, having many different vantage points in um it's been eye opening to me, i mean as a former prosecutor, both at the county level and the state level um you know not not always having an understanding of what was going on on the other side, but whether that's for my victims or for defendants and um it's been just you know the, really the privilege of a lifetime to represent these young people i mean on any given year, thirty to forty percent of the clients that always have been in or are currently in the foster care system, and it's just a whole different window into, uh, you know, the the challenges of mental health issues, the challenges of substance abuse issues, quite frankly, the challenge of poverty, um, that are such a piece of why many of these uh, children end up in the foster care system. Um, Oftentimes not involving abuse. Those are the cases that have the ugliest facts, um, but oftentimes are the easiest answers, you know. When there's abuse, we just need to put these people where they belong, where they can't harm anyone, hold them accountable in the criminal justice system. Um, it's these families that have other no abuse but other challenges um that, that sometimes make parents unable to care for their children where you just it makes you look at the bigger system and understand that public safety is bigger than just the criminal justice system. That we have these responsibilities um, to try to support young families, to make sure we have mental health treatment available, to make sure we have substance abuse treatment. I mean, what are the tools out there that can actually help a parent who is struggling but not abusive? Um, you know, get to a place where they can be them best their best selves. Not just for themselves, but for their children and it's it's been amazing I mean really, to tell their stories in court um, the, the, the you know the the young people that we serve um, to help them move forward, whether it 's because they 've been abused or you know have a, some trafficking survivors where our work is to try to um, go to courts and ask to set aside, uh, which is similar to expunge some of their you know misdemeanor um, Uh, convictions. And, um, you know, when you go to the judge and you help these survivors tell their story and you can actually show the judge, look at all these cities that this um, young person was taken to. Here's what happened to her. Here's how she was abused when she tried to get away. Here's what's going on now. Um, it's, it's a very powerful, and you know, my clients will often say, you, you changed my life. And I always tell them I didn't change their lives. they changed their lives. I mean they had the courage and the fortitude to step away from very tough situations. They had the resilience to um, make it through not not make it through a time of hopelessness and get to a place where they were looking for. The very limited resources that were out there and they were looking hard enough that they found us. And it's just a real, uh, it's an amazing thing when you have, you know, some, a young client come in your doors for the first time looking completely distraught or in fear. Um, And when we end a case with them, watching them leave with their head held high, it's it's just a really special thing to be a part of.
1: So January, thanks for sharing all of that. I think um, one of the things you said that really resonated with me and that I found most powerful um, was this notion that uh, in your work, um, a lot of it was really about empowering people to be the best versions of themselves during times of hopelessness. And that's not something that we hear politicians talk a lot about um, in our current climate, uh, and so I'm interested in actually segueing here to talk about why you're running for office and how you made this decision to run for attorney general.
0: I mean, for me, the decision, and I would say it's less it was less of a decision than a calling. I mean, it wasn't something that I sat down and said, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I? It was feeling called in a very nonstop, almost annoying way, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And finally, having the courage, along with my family, to say, yes, that this is, in fact, is is the path that that we're supposed to be taking at this moment. And, um, you know, on behalf of not myself, but on behalf of, of you know, the people of Arizona. um, You know, as we watched 2017 come into uh, view, it, it was challenging for a lot of people, I think, to hear um, language of division constantly brought to the forefront, um, targeting of, of individuals, whether that's based on religion or based on someone's um, gender or sexual identity, um, you know, a, a, a war on um, opportunity and the safety net system, if you will, and, you know, socking it to the little guy uh, on a very regular basis and for me what you know what when you see things like that, the expectation is that we will see someone else step up to combat that uh, and we're just in this odd time in our history where there aren't enough leaders willing to do that where you know that eighth grade lesson that we learned about checks and balances has just started to erode, and for me, that was really the 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 final calling of. You know i need I need to step forward in this way um, to bring back some balance to be there to protect uh, the rights of people, to protect consumers in a way that we're seeing fall by the wayside uh, and uh, you know i I have had the career to be ready to do this job, uh, and not everybody you know has had those opportunities so for me that those were the things that made me step forward to say, you know. There is a brighter version of Arizona. We have seen it before. We will see it again, and I'll do my best to make sure that, that, that we see it very soon. Thank you.
1: So, so I think there are also um, some folks out there who may not fully understand what the role is of an attorney general. Can you explain the responsibilities of the office and talk a little bit about what you want to bring to the role if
0: elected? Mm-hmm. Um, So in Arizona, as is true in most states, we have county attorneys, and in many other places they're called district attorneys, and those are your prosecutors who are going to handle most that the vast majority of crime that happens in any given community. If your car's broken into, your home's broken into, um, you know, felonies, or, or whether they're sexual assault or 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 drug dealing, you know. What, all those kinds of things are going to be handled either by your county attorney or your district attorney. Uh, and that's a job I did at the earliest part of my career. The attorney general's office is is different than that, because in Arizona, um, we have the authorities that are given to me as the attorney general um, uh, in statute or in our state constitution. And so the the main Uh, role of the attorney general um, are include, number one, we're the lawyer to the state. So we give advice to the state of Arizona constantly. Um, You know, it's small stuff that never comes to the light of day because it's just not that interesting and it's big stuff. So that's one big part of the the role. We also have uh, a huge role in consumer protection in Arizona. That's one of the bread and butter issues of the attorney general. So that we are taking on bad actors big and small um, that are either trying to deceive or defraud Arizonans, we also have a role in every single case of a child who's in the foster care system we we are are providing a recommendation to the judge on each of those cases. We have a civil rights division we have an environmental enforcement division we um go after crime also, but it tends to be limited and more complex. Uh, So organized crime, fraud and waste in the government, uh, cartel sort of drug cases. When I worked as an assistant attorney general, I was a criminal prosecutor and I handled healthcare fraud. So a transportation company who had been billing the state for people who had been deceased for years Uh, And I prosecuted crimes that happened in nursing homes. And, you know, I'll tell you when the worst is not going to happen to the vast majority of people in nursing homes. Uh, But when it does, you're going to be glad when you have an attorney general there who prioritizes uh, our most vulnerable, especially our seniors in nursing homes. So those are some of the roles of the attorney general. Now, increasingly, you also see attorneys general being um, involved at the federal level. And um, so, for example, you know, our current attorney general in Arizona, he is one of some, a group of attorneys general who has sued to eliminate the Affordable Care Act and, and eliminating along with it our, our you know, ban against, discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions, uh, our guarantee of young adult coverage on parents' insurance policies. Um, you know, getting rid of those things. Uh, you know, that's something where I have already been on the record as saying, you know, I don't want to be constantly dealing with the federal government because we have a lot of uh, of issues to work on at home. But I do. There are certain issues where, when it's harmful to Arizonans, I will stand up to make sure that we are um, supporting us and trying to protect access to affordable health care is one of them. Trying to protect Net neutrality is one of them. Um, you know, the, the work, the legal work that's being going on to protect um, students with DACA, absolutely something that uh, I will be a part of. And because we have that, that affects Arizonans. It affects the security of Arizonans and the opportunities that exist. Uh, and, you know, those are things also that, that do come into play Although it's not the central role of the attorney general, it's, it's a part of it. And you asked about some of my priorities. I mean, I really, here's a difference between what, what happens now and where I want to bring the office back to um, is, you know, in my administration, we will not be driven by a partisan checklist of what, how am I supposed to act on this particular issue. Uh, we won't be driven by what donors' expectations or requests are. Of uh, our actions, we, we'll, I will make sure that we are being driven by what's in the best interest of Arizonans, and how do we protect the rights of Arizonans and their ability to be secure um, in in their financial um, security and in their safety and in the protection of their rights. Uh, and so, it's an exciting opportunity to get back to business, so to speak. Um, it's been unusual the last oh, eight years or so, we've had um, the attorney general's office take on a a rather partisan um, slant. And that's unusual, though. Prior to that, we really didn't, we weren't driven in that way. And so it's going to be exciting for us to get back to how do we do our core mission as well as we can. Uh, And there are a lot of attorneys already in the attorney general's office who are there, because they love the work, because they're dedicated to the public. Um, and, you know, we want to be sure that we're showcasing all the good work that's being done and providing them with opportunity to, you know, do even more, take on bigger players, not have political interference in cases. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, taking on corruption because it's not something that we've seen taken on in a while, but it's it's needed now more than ever with the influx of dark money in Arizona. So one
1: theme I'm hearing a lot is sort of this idea that there's the traditional role that an attorney general plays, but in this climate, there are also sort of national issues that um, the attorney general sort of has to be involved in and be thinking about every day. One of the um, One of the things that I know you experienced and saw the effects of firsthand when you were at Always was the heroin and opioid epidemic in Arizona. And this is an issue that I think is uh, becoming increasingly prominent across the country. Um, Not all of our listeners are in Arizona, but I think um, this is an issue that matters to folks no matter where they live. Can you tell us a little bit about what the state of Arizona is dealing with here and how you plan to address this problem as Attorney General?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the opioid and heroin epidemic that's happening around the country um, is is rearing its ugly head in Arizona in very similar ways. And it's tearing apart a lot of families. Uh, And, you know, when we spoke earlier of hopelessness and how do we help people be their best version of themselves? I mean, this is front and center, uh, a part of the heroin and opioid problems that we have in Arizona. Um, You know, I've seen, I've represented a young mom who, 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 The second time she hid in the bathroom from her partner with her two kids, because once he got addicted to heroin, he turned into, uh, you know, someone who was unpredictable and violent. And she said before heroin, they, you know, she had really thought this was it. They had such a, a, a good relationship and a healthy home um but that's that's what it can do you know it's contributing to kids being in the foster care system because uh of the the hold that these drugs can have on people and you know it's effect, you know it's affecting grandparents it's affecting parents kids and of course the people themselves who become addicted and I'll, I'll tell you that it's not you know we have some problems in some of our rural parts of the state but right here in our in the biggest county in Arizona, it, it's also prevalent. I was in a very nice neighborhood uh, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of a neighborhood where there were a lot of gated communities and um, a lot of, of privilege. And, you know, I had a grandmother come to me and, and talk to me about this because she had a, a grandson who got caught up in this epidemic. And so no one is immune to it. And I think that's what has made it get more attention than other drug addictions. Although other drug addictions are important that we're not forgetting. Um, you know, these are the, it takes hold of people the same way, no matter what the specific drug is. Um, but you know, what we need to do is, is in Arizona, we had passed a bipartisan bill in the legislature this year. That was a start at trying to, uh, you know, sort of clamp down on how much supply is out there through legitimate channels. And, and that is an important start. We also, though, need to be increasingly willing to take on the big players, uh, and that includes the uh, drug manufacturers and the distributors that are a part of um, allowing this crisis to emerge when they could see the trends before the rest of us and do something about it. And, um, you know, we have one of the, well, none of the most, uh, you know, at least accused of being one of the biggest problems right here in Arizona. And, you know, other attorneys general had sued this drug company years ago, um, just this last year, finally, our current attorney general is. But this is the forefront. This is where we need to be aggressive so that everyone who is a part of this, and especially those who are making millions or billions of dollars, off of this uh, are being held accountable.
1: I think we spend um, a lot of time in politics kind of focusing on the problems and what's not going well and how do we fix it. Um, And we don't spend quite as much time talking about what's good and what's working. Um, And I think that's actually incredibly important in our current climate uh, and in this whole conversation about sort of changing the culture of our politics. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and ask you, um, a question sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, in the midst of this really challenging time for our country and presumably for many of our states, what keeps you going? What gives you hope or um, inspires you? Uh, you know, What are you seeing in, in the communities in Arizona um, that keeps you sane and, and, and keeps you going in, in the midst of uh, this environment?
0: Well, in Arizona, we have a lot of really... Inspirational movements happening. And it's beautiful because it's people who, when the checks and balances do not exist in government as they should, it's people who are stepping up to say, I'm going to be part of the checks and balances that doesn't exist right now. Uh, and for example, you know, the young high school students who have led marches and other work to address how do we prevent gun violence. I mean, absolutely inspirational. They give me hope because they are beholden to no one except fellow mankind. I mean, you know, we'd like to think that that's true for most leaders, but sadly, it's just has become, you know, the the unusual rather than the usual. Uh, And so they're a bright, bright spot in terms of leading, leading with a very community-minded agenda. We also have in Arizona, um, one of the Red for Ed movements, where our teachers finally step forward to say, you know, elected officials, we're not going to ignore this anymore. We're, we, You need to fully fund K through 12 education. And teachers need to be uh, educators and, and the support personnel need to be uh, uh, given salaries that show how we value them and show the the very significant role that they have in building the future generations of our state. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's been incredibly inspiring. So in terms of the, this time that we're in, despite all of the ugliness and despite the fact that, you know, on a daily basis at least, I meet people who say, you know, they can't stand watching the news anymore. I also meet on a daily basis someone who says, "This is the first political event I've ever been to," uh, and, and you know, you give me hope about what we can accomplish and how we'll bring change. You know, and those things are incredibly um, inspiring, and and that's what keeps me going every day. I mean, just like all the rest of my career, it's the people that I serve, it's the people who, with uh, working together, we can create stronger community and stronger opportunity and 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 more stability and safety for people. Uh, and so we, we just have a lot to be very excited about right now in Arizona because people are stepping up. They're not taking um, functional government for granted anymore because they know it's not there. And so, you know, it just makes it a very exciting time as people get ready for November.
1: We have just a few minutes left, and so I'd love to talk a little bit about the experience of running for office. Um, A lot of folks who are part of the arena community are candidates or folks who will someday be candidates um, and are taking the courageous step into the arena. Um, What has surprised you the most about the experience of running in Arizona?
0: Hmm, I guess the surprise... It's, it's not, you know, a pleasant surprise, but the biggest surprise really is this role of money in campaigns and understanding how much of the time has to be spent raising money. And, you know, on the plus side of that surprise, it's been amazing to see, you know, educators who I know it's a huge sacrifice for make a very generous donation. Uh, and at the same time, You know, when I get those checks from um, seniors in, you know, different parts of the state, uh, you know, one I just got with a note that said, I wish it could be more, but I'm on a fixed income. Um, You know, those mean so much as well. And so it's tough and it's so discouraging to see the role that that money has in campaigns and particularly in Arizona, which has become sort of the epicenter of the control of dark money forces. But, you know, I mean, the, the, the battle to that is regular people. And we had 13 times as many donors this last fundraising quarter as the sitting attorney general, someone who's had three and a half years to show how he's, um, how, you know, to connect with voters. And we had 13 times as many donors as him. And so uh, while it is a, a discouraging um a surprise about the role of money. It, it's incredibly validating and uh, keeps me going every time someone sends in $10, $25, $100, because they see this campaign and my leadership as part of the solution for Arizona. And, you know, that's that's an amazing feeling. And it just makes me and my whole team work that much harder every day.
1: Wow. And yeah, that's a testament to your organizing and the power of your message and your story. Um, So what advice do you have for other women who might be thinking of running across the country? It's obviously uh, a different experience to run as a woman, especially in 2018, the year of the woman. Um, What advice either uh, do's and don'ts might you have for other women out there?
0: I I don't know that the do's and don'ts are that different than... um, you know, candidates that are, that are males. I, I think this, this, you know, data we've heard that women have to be asked, I don't know, seven times before they actually think about it. I, I mean, that's definitely true. I'm a living testament to that. Um, and I think that's true for many of us. I, I guess what I would say of people who are thinking of running for office is, um, you know, believe in yourselves. And in when you're coming from a place where what motivates you is the future of our kids, is a stronger community, is opportunity for all, is for safety and security for all people um, in, in your area, then, then that's enough to, to carry, even if you don't have a moneyed network. If you didn't come from money, you know, oftentimes we're not going to have a Rolodex full of people with money, but then you just have to work harder to find those people who really believe in what you believe in. And and, I mean, at least I found that there's way more people out there um, that I never met who now tell me, you know, I meet them for the first time and they'll tell me I'm your biggest supporter. And, you know, I think that's uh, anyone can achieve that when they're coming from the right place, when they have the right motives, because people, People can sniff out authenticity Uh, and that's something that I have really, really enjoyed about the campaign because I can be myself. I can speak as a mom. I can speak as a daughter uh, and a granddaughter. And also I can speak as the prosecutor that I was and, you know, a nonprofit leader and all those things, you know, allow me to be myself. And I've enjoyed that because I think in other times, um, you know, there were, you know, the 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 standard advice may be to just constantly be tough, just constantly talk about certain things. And I, I really appreciate that, at least for myself and many of the women candidates that I'm seeing, they're they're being very authentic to themselves and telling their stories in a very real way. And you know, being a woman is a part of our story. It's it's a part of who we are. Uh, And so I would say, you know, be authentic, too, because it's I can't imagine doing this every day um, and not being able to be myself and really talk about what motivates me.
1: January, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and why you're running for attorney general of Arizona. I want to make sure before we. close the call that everybody understands how they can get involved in your campaign if they're interested in learning more or contributing in some way um so for folks both around the country and in arizona how can they um get involved and join your campaign
0: yeah i mean we would love to have involvement from people and people who who care about the same things and in arizona you know um we need the cavalry to, to help us reach as many people as possible because we are competing against dark money in the end. Uh, people can learn more about my background and donate to our campaign at www.january4az.com. Uh, and, you know, we'd love to have people's help in a variety of ways. You don't always have to be in the town, as most of us know now. You can help remotely, so we invite you. Thank you. Terrific. Thanks so much for joining us today, January. Thank you.